intuition, my intuition is good, but it can't be the only thing that guides my decision making. Welcome to another episode of the Brotherly Podcast. This is your host, Brian DG, founder and editor-in-chief of Good People. And today we got a chance to speak with Patrick Boltang, who is the CEO and founder of Ceylon Skincare, which is a skincare brand for men of color. And this was a really, really great episode. Again, one of my favorites, you know, Patrick is a really, really impressive guy who has a great story to share from working as a U.S. diplomat to uh, starting his skincare brand. So we got a chance to speak about that journey. And I'd also like to send a special thank you to Shanita and Amanda of Sip and Sonder. When you hear this episode today, you're going to hear some background noise, and that's because we recorded at Sip and Sonder, which is a cafe owned by two women of color in Inglewood, and they let us use a space to host today. So I want to thank Shanita and Amanda again of Sip and Sonder. And if you're in the area, if you're flying in, if you just have a layover at the LAX, Sip and Sonder is like 10 minutes away. You can grab some some great teas or coffees, and it's a really dope vibe, and everybody there is lovely. The ambiance is great. And yeah, so thank you again to Shanita and Amanda, and thank you to Patrick for sharing your story with us. One of the most insightful stories um, and journeys that we got to hear about thus far. So, yes, stay tuned and uh, please, again, guys, follow, share, like this episode. And um, it's 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 because of you guys we've been able to grow, not only uh, from good people in this past couple years, but through this podcast. And I want to personally thank everybody who I've worked with, everybody who shared their story with me. We really appreciate that, and we look forward to taking that energy into next year. So without further ado, here's Patrick. So my name is Patrick Boateng II, and I'm the CEO and founder of Ceylon Skincare. Um, We are a skincare brand for men of color. Uh, We work with dermatologists at Howard University to conduct clinical trials and create scientifically-backed skincare directed at men of color to solve these skin issues that they disproportionately face. That's dope, man. And and when did you guys uh, like initially launch? What was the so the product launched in October 2018. Uh, before then, I'd been working on the project for about a year, doing some research and development, and working with our manufacturers to really get the first version of the product out, and working on making sure that everything from packaging to the formulas to uh, the proper testing uh, was performed, and so making sure that uh, everything kind of came together in the right package, at least for the first version of what the brand would be. Okay. So t- can you take us back to kind of those those opening days? Because, I mean, that's a, that's a venture. In terms of, when I say opening days, I mean, like, when you, you know, decided, like, yo, we're going to start this. I want I want to start a skincare brand for men of color. And weighing the, the level of difficulty in your head. Mm-hmm. The, plos- the, um, the plausibility in your head and like, yo, who am I going to do this with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we rewind back to uh, 2015, 2016, I was a foreign service officer. So for those that know, it's a U.S. diplomat. And I was serving in mainland China, specifically in Guangzhou. And I was really struggling with my skin. And really, you know, I, I hadn't grown up with any skin issues. I was very lucky. And so every day I was having issues with acne, I was breaking out, I was struggling with hyperpigmentation. Um, Generally, you know, my skin was in terrible shape. And so I started buying all these skincare products. I I tried around 300 different brands to 
figure out and to try to fix what was going on with my face. Yeah. Um, I was buying stuff from Korea, from Japan. Uh, I was using products shipped on Amazon from the States. Um, I was, my dad was shipping me raw African shea butter soap from Ghana and nothing was really working that well for me. So I ended up through my mom getting connected with Dr. Lynn McKinley Grant, who's a top dermatologist for skin of color. Um, she's Harvard trained, she's been published by NIH and she wrote this book called Visual DX, which diagnoses skin conditions, uh, particularly in pigmented skin. So signs, everything from, you know, diagnosing dermatological issues all the way to, you know, physical conditions and how it manifests in skin of color. And through her learned that on average, only 5% of any dermatological trial is people of color. Wow. And so seeing that big gap in the actual establishment of the science behind the things that we used to treat these skin conditions we have, for me, it was this moment where I realized that it was important to create a company that would close that gap, create diversity in trials in the study of dermatology, and then behind that, create the type of products that could stand on the science behind skin of color to actually address the issues that we, we disproportionately face. Um, and so for me, that was very important to do. And so once I kind of had that, that idea and that notion, really it was a matter of you know quitting my job the following year, going and getting the opportunity to connect with the manufacturer and starting to work through the labs and, and develop the kind of product that would be the first kind of basic set where you could have something that was a skincare routine that would be very effective, very easy to use, but also help treat a lot of the issues that most people face. Right. So it wouldn't be something that is necessarily uh, prescribable, but it's something that can really help improve the quality of the skin, help with clarity, um, and really kind of be that first basic skincare set before we start to introduce the kind of products that would be, uh, that would treat more severe issues down the road. Initially starting, like how much were you involved in the research in terms of the science behind um, addressing these issues specifically for men of color. Yeah. Uh, early on, research was everything. I mean, the very first thing I did was, you know, looked at everything out there and was like, okay, so why, why are the products that we see today, why do they have so many bleaching agents? Why do they have um, type of whitening ingredients? And that's because the way the scientists created is that a lot of the methods to treat skin conditions are through bleaching and through using chemicals to kind of whiten the skin and lighten the skin. And so what it's doing is treating the symptoms. So when I went back into studies and I was leaning into reading up on all of these different studies that have been conducted on skin of color and seeing where the gaps were and what needs to be addressed and understanding that, okay, if you want to approach creating a product like this, number one, there's literature review, see what kind of research has already been done. Look at areas where you understand the experience of someone who would use this product and try to close that gap and say what are the areas that need to be studied now to actually create those kind of products and then go ahead and consult with your scientific advisor for us as Dr. Lynn McKinley Grant again to figure out the type of ingredients the type of structures and formulas that would produce the kind of outcomes that people wanted to see so how, so how does okay so like I, I'm a I'm a kid hearing you know this podcast and I'm like man I want to start my own shit too I want to start my own skincare brand yeah so how do I even begin even finding like a scientific advisor? So what, what resources, you know, did you guys use to, to kind of link up with these sort, of, these sort of folks? Yeah, I was really fortunate. 
um, Dr. McKinley Grant happened to be my mom's dermatologist. Oh, okay. And so <laughs> that, that works was, out. That was a huge, you know, those are yeah. those like like most places, right? You you have a stroke of luck. You have right. a very fortuitous connection. Yes. To someone who can help you take that leap. Um, I think if you kind of step back and say, well, I want to start my own thing, or I want to start my own, you know, whether it's a skincare brand, whether it's um, you know, like a beverage or, or whatever it is. I think it's important, number one, to have your own perspective on what you want to exist. And then with that perspective, you sit down and say, who is the person that A, is an expert on that sort of area or that that angle and try to get into reach out and try to get to touch them or try to work through your network. There's a really interesting uh, exercise that I did. Um, it's called network mapping. Network mapping is this thing where you go and you just sit down and you chronologically look back at your life and you list all of the people that you know who can be helpful for what you're trying to do. And you have a very concrete set of asks that you have for them. And what you do is you go and say, okay, you know, if there are people I went to college with, I went to grad school with, I have worked at this job or that job, and just write them down. People you have relationships with, they can be close ties, they can be weak ties, and how you think they might be able to help you. And what ends up happening is through that exercise, you can actually surface the beginnings of connections right. to the kind of people that you need to create these kind of things. That's a dope, that's no a dope exercise. It, right. No one does it alone. But by doing that, that gives you the opportunity to actually sit down and see the landscape of who can connect you. And very often what I found in my own way of doing that exercise was it wasn't the person who I said, oh, this person can help me do X, do Y, do Z. They often were someone who would connect me to someone else who they knew. And then you start creating that web. And so that method became really helpful in understanding how to do it. So that's something I recommend for everyone who reaches out to me for advice, because that was advice I got mm, to mm. do that network mapping. It mm. is like the most important thing you do. And what it does is it helps you sit down and see exactly who you know. Right. And there, and there are people you've forgotten about, but you sit down and start thinking about it. You're like, oh, okay. You remember these little details about people's lives. And you say, oh, okay, maybe they can. And reach out. It's always really, yeah. really tough to reach out to people. But what ends up happening is that they're so happy to help you because turn it around. If someone reached out to you and said, hey, I'm starting this thing. And can you help me with this? You're not going to be like, ah, no. You're usually like, oh, that's cool. I don't know if I can help you with this. Maybe I can help you with this. But I know someone who might be able to be more helpful than I can. Let me connect you to them. Right. And so that's the advice I would give to the high schooler, to the to the college kid who's yeah. thinking about starting their own thing is think about who you know. You know way more people than you think you do. That's you have true. more connections yeah. than you think you do. Yep. We're all out here. You know, yeah. just go ahead and, and, and try it and just see what happens. So, I mean, your conviction was that strong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that for me, there are two forces that really animated making that jump. The first being that you know, this was something I was going through and it was for me quite intense. And so I wanted to create, I understood one that I was, it was, I was going through it and wanted to fix it. And two, that there were other people just like me going through the same problem. And so that was one big, you know, pulling factor. Mm -hmm. And then the push factor for me to leave the state department was that it's a great job. It's very prestigious. You know, I think that it's, an incredible opportunity for anyone who wants to travel. They taught me Mandarin, so you're learning languages, you're just interacting with all these different cultures, and it is a really remarkable, wonderful lifestyle that you can have throughout, and for an entire career, you can have that. So, I mean, I think that for me, 
I just looked at my own personal experiences and I thought to myself, I love this. However, I think I want to go in a different direction because I don't see my life. I'm looking 10, 20 years down the road and I don't see myself as a foreign service officer. That just isn't for me. And there are other people who saw themselves 20, 30, you know, they're becoming ambassadors. But for me, that just wasn't my vision of the future that I was looking for. Right. And so that helped me understand that for you to actually, if your vision is different than what that path is, you get off the path and do something else. Yeah. Um, it's difficult. It's a great job. It, it's great benefits, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Even no matter how challenging the political <laughs> environment might be, it is still an incredible job where you get to do life-changing or world-changing work but i also understand that in some ways this work is also life-changing or world-changing in a very different way yeah so what so what did you so tell us tell us like what you were like in kind of your influences prior to starting ceylon so in terms of where you grew up and and where you went to school and and did you have peers um that sort of influenced you as well absolutely you know? absolutely so I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, specifically a small town in PG County called Beltsville. Um, and, the you know, DMV. DMV, I mean, hey. I think that it's a wonderful place to grow up, especially as a young black person, because you have a lot of people around you who are very well educated, who are pursuing all sorts of different career paths. The government and politics dominates the mind space of the DMV. However, I think it's such a robust community of really accomplished and thoughtful and interesting black people and so being around that that kind of gives you a really strong grounding and understanding yourself understanding your culture understanding your history your heritage your family uh, is there and then also i think just the strength of the the educational opportunities there were for me i went to a prep school uh, in dc i was very fortunate and then from there when i graduated high school i went to morehouse college okay where I found, you know, another community, which I think was really, really impactful and helped me grow as an individual. Um, a lot of my influence, I was interested in traveling to Japan. I was interested in art. I was interested in design. I was interested in fashion. I was studying political science. I thought about going to law school. I was in Model UN. I wanted to travel. I had all these different things inside of me, but at a place like Morehouse, they really helped nurture that. And so in really understanding who I wanted to be and what I was interested in, it was the kind of place where you can go and you can be yourself and it's not defined by your identity or, or what that is. And so I think that that was the right place for me and where I wanted to be. I also just love the culture. I love being in the South. My family, you know, one half of my family is from the South. And so that really helped as well. And I just made the best friends of my life. Um, and so really bringing all those influences together helped me kind of open my perspective to understand that my path would just be following a lot of the interests that I had. Yeah. Leaving Morehouse, my biggest passion was, you know, working abroad, traveling. I was still doing Model UN. I was on that. Um, and I went to the Kennedy School at Harvard. That was through the fellowship I got to go to the State Department um, in my career. And so I really was focused on being in the international affairs apparatus. Um, and really going through those experiences, I interned in Japan with the State Department during undergrad. Um, I interned in D.C. And then in graduate school, I felt like I also wanted to kind of shift a little bit. I started to get more into the design side because I said, well, look, you've been interested in art, design, in engineering and all these different things that you haven't really had a chance to nurture. And so Harvard was a really special place because they allowed me to 
transfer into a joint degree with the design school there. Wow. The design school is an architecture school, but very design focused. And through that education, I was also teaching at the engineering school. I was working on a million different projects. I was publishing. I was just doing literally everything. That's really great. You know, man. Yeah, doing product design courses. And what ended up happening is that I sat back and said, well, now that you've stretched yourself a little bit wider, it's time for you to kind of under think about you know, these experience that you're having mm-hmm. and how can you in the future create the kind of opportunities for yourself that are going to reflect what you really care about and what's really interesting to you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was something that was always important, having that common thread of pursuing my own interests, but understanding that the institutions that I'm going through are going to be safe spaces to explore those 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 interests. Did you have any um, entrepreneurs in your immediate circle or any family members that were entrepreneurs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on my dad's side, uh, several of my uncles are entrepreneurs, um, mainly you know in things like real estate uh, in Ghana. Um, on my okay, mom's cool. Side, what, what part of Ghana are, you, are your folks from? Uh, so my family's from Kofredua. Okay. Uh, so part of the Ashanti region. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's the year of the return right now, man. Everybody, everybody headed back to Ghana right now. Yeah, I know. I went. I went earlier this year. Um, okay. I went back in January. I was best man at my cousin's wedding, so it was it was great. Um, you know, I'm hoping to get a chance to go next year. Uh, but yeah, it's just magical. I love it there. It's. Um, was there anybody? Because you know, like, there's African families. Uh, an African mindset is. I would say the usual African mindset is there's four routes you can pursue, whether it's being a doctor, engineer, lawyer, you know, nurse. So was there anybody discouraging you at the beginning of this journey and starting Ceylon? Not at all. Damn. It's it's kind of, yeah, it's it's cool. I think that... That's important, too. Yeah. I, I think that one of the things that was really interesting to me was that no one... There wasn't anyone who was like, no, don't do this, or no, this is a bad idea. The general consensus was that this is a good idea and you know it, it takes time it takes time for this to work i think that even if my family isn't particularly even if my family isn't particularly up to date on how like startups and high growth companies work and and the space of things i think they all understand what it takes and and they see that in me and see like i guess someone who can achieve the goal of building a successful or, or viable business. Right. Um, I think that also there's this idea that, you know, you're, I'm not someone to shift gears really quickly or without thought or, or do something without having thought through what it means, how to get there, how it's going to take off. And I think the other side too is that you have a support network of people who are willing to help you get to where you want to go. I, it's funny, you know, you think about how do people understand what you're doing from the perspective of people who are close to you, your friends and your family. But, you know, I asked my uncle, I, I, one of my uncles is extremely successful. And I asked him, I said, how long did it take for your business to take off? He said 12 years, you know, and it's done super, super well. But, you know, he said it took him 12 years. And I thought about that a lot because I know that this isn't something that you know, maybe will take 12 years to become really big. But I do think that understanding that there's going to be just the ups and downs and there's a long period of grinding before these things become bigger and no one's going to see it. Right. And no one's going to know about that. And no one's going to understand that journey from the outside. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's great. Cause when, when you're cognizant of the journey that you're about to embark, it makes the journey 
a lot easier understanding Absolutely. that you know there will be complications Absolutely. and you know in order for things to go up and to the right there's going to be peaks and valleys along the way you know um so i think that's i think that's really dope man that and you said this earlier in, in terms of understanding that this brand will take time to develop and that that you're locked in for however long it'll take exactly exactly and, and that's an important mindset i feel like to have just in general as an entrepreneur is totally is knowing what you know because even in like ventures that i've done before right there's some there's some stuff i've done before i'm like if i had known that it was going to be this hard i don't know if i would have done it uh but now with like the ventures that we're working on now i understand like you know you have to be willing to stick in whether it's three months it's just gonna take off or or 12 years um yeah, you know absolutely to, to where it might take off absolutely um but talk about but just talk about the you know going back to what we discussed earlier about you know okay you've decided to make this brand and now you're pulling together people um to help you manifest this journey mm -hmm. um talk about that process and telling your friends and, and trying to convince you know let's say i'm starting to, i'm trying to start a brand right now and, I, and i'd like to convince you know, maybe a friend of mine or an acquaintance or a colleague to to come on this journey with me. Yeah, I think that you have to understand what the other person is motivated by and you have to make sure that that motivation matches yours. Because I think that what often happens in a lot of companies is that you have people who are friends for various reasons. And, and you know, we, we have these deep friendships and relationships and what ends up happening is that we see that friendship as something that's very close to us and, and the company is very close to us. Very often the company is really us in the beginning. And so when you want them to join, it feels like come on this additional friendship journey with me to this end point, this goal, whether it's we're going to build something and be famous or we'll be rich or it'll have this impact or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I think that what you need to do before approaching anyone to join your business is to really understand why you want to do this. And, and I don't mean why as in like, what is the goal of the business or what is it trying to achieve? Deep down, what is the reason that you feel that you need to do this? And what is the end result that you hope to get? Do you want to build something that will generate passive income? Do you want to generate something that will be this big public company? everything in between do you want it to be some small side hustle do you want it to be something that you sell to another company one day what what is that ambition and what does that mean for your life and how you get there and does that other person have that equal motivation right you know? yeah. i think that this is something that becomes really tricky i think that a lot of people will go out and say you always need to find a co-founder you always need to find this and find that and i think that it's actually worth sitting back and and being like do I know that the people I bring along with me have those equal levels of motivation, understanding, desires? Do they match? Yep. And it is so hard. <laughs> yeah. It is so hard to yep. find that. Yep. And so I think you have to kind of be able to say, bear yourself out and your really true, honest truth to people and say, this is why. This is what matters to me. This is why. And see if they respond to that. See if that resonates with them. And you have to have really open, honest, and frank conversations with people um, because this, this stuff is hard and your motivations might change and, you know, your understanding, your approach might be different. But, you know, you have to sit down and say, okay, like, 
where where's that line and how are we going to evolve together yeah yeah that's so yeah i mean to keep going sorry I, i think that one of the other big things is being able to just sit down and and understand that what happens if this thing doesn't work out you know if this thing doesn't work out what what does that mean for for the relationship for the friendship for what you guys have before that and i think so that's another area to think about you know you should probably tread tread carefully yeah those yeah conversations yeah definitely you know, at least if you're trying to make that a reality right so t- so now can you take us back to um when you guys are when you guys are you know making the product and you know your first samples have come in you know where did you guys initially source um you know the ingredients and materials yeah. uh, to create ceylon yeah, <laughs> take us was, through that it was a ride so i so the beginning so i'd already so this is back um this would be october 2017 end of october 2017 i had a one-way ticket to bangkok i had already gotten in touch with the manufacturer um, and they were already like, cool, we'll, we'll work with you. We think this is a cool idea. Okay, so they're in Bangkok. They're based, they're based in Bangkok. It's okay. a Thai, Thai factory. Um, and we, so I get there, I think, literally the day after I land in Bangkok. And I go to this meeting with them. And they're like, all right, so let's talk about this product. And so we go, and we're sitting at this table, and they just slide a laptop over to me. <laughs> and they're like, all right, type in everything you want, everything you're thinking about. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, I didn't really have, I had the concept and the initial idea and the plan. Yeah. And so I just started typing all these different ingredients, all these things. And they're like, all right, whoa, 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 whoa. It sounds like you're not quite sure. You know, and I also brought like different samples and different ideas for, for what I wanted to make. And they were like, okay, well, you're working with this dermatologist and, you know, we'd love to talk to her or you can, you can go back to her and really narrow down exactly what you want to build because you need a simpler idea to start with. So then we can move upwards in terms of the complication of the, the, the technique, the complication of the formulations. And if we're going to restructure these formulations in a certain way, uh, we're going to need to kind of sit down and understand it. Yeah. And so that mm-hmm. was, I think, a three-month process, roughly, a two- to three-month process of back-and-forth prototyping, going into the research, testing, trialing, sitting down, and, and really investigating structures and, and different types of ingredients. And kind of, I think I worked through 35 samples Wow. each product i think the moisturizer maybe had like 12 but for sure the facial wash definitely had something like 35 36 different versions the toner went through like 20 to 30 different versions and it was absolutely insane <laughs> the number of times like just kept going back going back going back going back going back and going back and, and and trying to fix it or trying to add different things or understand why the formulas were coming out different ways even because the structural changes there were times when there were times when the the moisturizer felt like the facial wash and times when the toner was like how the moisturizer is now like literally we were just like breaking apart and putting it back together wow. breaking it apart putting it back together and so it was in retrospect it's kind of insane in the moment it was just exciting because it was like ooh another thing and then it kind of be like uh okay this is weird yeah and you're kind of pushing and pushing and pushing and i remember there would be times when i would go back to dr mckinley grand i'd be like hey so I'm thinking that this is the way we need to go. And she'd be like, why do you want to burn someone's face off? Like, why do you <laughs> want to do this? Why do you want to do that? And I'm like, 
I don't know. I, I, I think I read and, and we've been testing this and she's like, let's go back into the research. Like, let's do another test and see what, you know, see what actually can make sense. And so that back and forth dialogue and that and just constantly going into the lab and working, I think was what helped kind of push us into that realm of, okay, as we got closer to the first real like prototype, which they totally surprised me. Like one day we're sitting there and, and I, you know, I think we, we were on another iteration and we test all these different versions and we kind of were close. And then I was like, all right, let's move on to packaging because it seems like we're, we've made enough progress. And then one day they, they hit me with 50 sample sets damn of the product and we're like they're like hey we know you're going back to the states for vacation why don't you take these with you and i'm like i didn't even know you guys are sitting there like doing this yeah but this is amazing yeah, you know, yeah that first thing and, and that was kind of that first opportunity to really go out and test with people who hadn't been involved in any way yeah. in producing the product and see what they thought wow uh, and so that was pretty pretty fun as well so and that helped kind of push that first that very first like test trial where we had about 40 people in there and, and that was that people was all back home you guys were testing? Literally, with? like, literally, I just, like, flew back to the States and just, like, handing out and just, like, record results, record results, test it, use it twice a day, and just see. Right. It was, it was, I mean, even the packaging was super, like, they were scrounging up. They were, like, getting, like, leftover packaging from other brands. And wow. just, like, it was, it was funny, but... You know that was how you need to kind of get your stuff out to at least have an idea that what you're doing really truly for for an uncontrolled experiment it's like okay can, <laughs> can this really work yeah yeah so did you guys so you did you you stayed so you flew to bangkok you stayed there for how long uh, i stayed there for about a year a year yeah about Damn, a year man. so it was like about nine months and then like a little bit more time right um yeah so that was literally just working through that um damn that's i mean it takes time and you know i had these other things that happened you know like you know i was doing this out of my savings so i had like some financial hiccups and it was just different stuff that was going on that kept like kind of pushing the date but that time i'll actually allowed for things to be refined and there are just different parts of the process that you don't even think about um, when you're doing packaging, you don't know that, hey, look, not only are you having to source and create the bottles, but you also have to go and get them test printed, get the boxes test printed. You have to Ooh. make sure you're, you're going through all these different iterations and styles of, of things. And so ultimately, by going through all of these, these steps, I kind of was like, okay, now this really makes sense why this is so hard. Learning by doing. The beauty of working with the manufacturer that we do is because they are super professional. We share them with some of the biggest brands on earth. So they understand top to bottom how to go from zero to 100. And that I think was also a blessing because there would be times when I'd be like, all right, cool, like let's move on. They're like, whoa, whoa, like you need to do this. We need to do this, we need to test this, we need to do that. And they always would kind of be like, okay, this is how we move through it safely. So extremely high standards is a big, 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 big thing. So you and, and then you just found these manufacturers just by doing research online, right? No, not at all. It's kind of crazy. So in China, I had neighbors, the only other black family in my building wow. when I was living in China. And uh, and so the couple there, uh, the wife works for a international uh, international uh, chemicals company. And so she was the director of the lab in Guangzhou. And one day I was telling her about the project and she told me that, oh yeah, I would love to help you like connect with the manufacturer. As a matter of fact, our Bangkok office, I was like telling her, oh, I wanna be in Bangkok and, and do it there. And she's like, cool, our Bangkok office actually does specialize in cosmetics. 
So she connected me with them and then they connected me with the manufacturer. Wow. So it was really, really, really lucky. Man, it's interesting the things that align when you're really pursuing your purpose like that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the first manufacturer I reached out to. I mean, I went to several trade shows to meet manufacturers. I couldn't tell you how many times people were like, I would tell the, I would tell them like, this is what I'm trying to work on. This is what I want to build. This is my idea months before i actually started doing this months right. before i quit mm -hmm. and they like looked at me like i was crazy or they were like no we're not going to do that or or all these different roadblocks and for me i was just like this is what i'm doing i'm not going to stop so i need to just keep going and figure out how to get to like this next step like so literally the times i got told no it's not like a, a it's, I'm not going to go out here and be like, I got told no a hundred times. I probably got told no like eight times, but it was eight times having a really comfortable, great job, trying to like kind of jump out of it, but not quite the time. Like there were so many times I was like, you don't actually have to do this. Like you don't have to actually go through any of this. Right. And I was like, we're still going to go through this. We're going to build, we're going to create this and I'm going to keep going through until I get a yes. And then another yes, and then another yes. And it was something that I had to keep telling myself over and over and over again is just get to a yes. Mm -hmm. Get to a yes until you keep going. And it's really easy to forget that sometimes, but that was the mindset back then because it was just like, this is what we're doing. Get to a yes. And and so talk about, you know, just I know you had briefly mentioned that you were you're running through, you know, you're running through your, your savings and you had a few financial hiccups. Um, you know, talk about, what those moments were like and then um going into making a decision to to seek investments from from different angels yeah so um one of the one of the interesting i think that like any like anyone who has been really plugged into a lot of the media we consume today you when you think about your company and you think about growing and you think about building a business your mind kind of goes now to Oh, maybe I should go raise VC. Oh, maybe I should go find investment to do this. And early on, I, I actually felt like this idea would not play well with VCs, mainly because of the demographics of VC. You know, VC is, unfortunately, it's not very diverse. Um, and additionally, typically the ideas that they back don't look like companies like this. And so I felt like this was something that if it was even going to be a candidate for something like that, I need to build it up with my savings. So what ended up happening is that I, you know, I took out my retirement, my the little retirement egg that I'd built up working working in the government and whatever savings I had on hand and I just plowed it into the business. And now I, I wouldn't say that that was the right thing to do. Like I will admit 100% that I am an extremely fortunate person to have had the career opportunities scholarships you know the different things that didn't impact my personal finances until i started the business mm -hmm. so i was very fortunate and i think most people don't have that you know most people have significant student loans most people have um, other payments other things going on and so for me i looked at my own situation and said if there's anyone who's going to be able to have the financial opportunity to, to do something like this it's going to be you mm -hmm. and so that was my mindset going in and understand that you might have to go to zero below zero whatever that looks like to be able to to create the business um so i think fast forward 
And one of the things that made it really tough early on was just the inexperience. Your first business is always your, your toughest one, I think. And the inexperience of, of not knowing and not being able to manage and not really understanding how to structure and plan and do all these different things, I think caught up a little bit. But what happened in the business that the, you know, the company grew, the brand grew, we had sales. And so there was some real momentum and a real feeling like, okay, this is, this is really going to work. The reason that we wanted to go pursue investment was number one, because there was a feeling that this opportunity was good enough that without additional capital, the company wouldn't move fast enough to eat up that opportunity and really attack that market. Uh, number two was that there were just bigger moves that we wanted to make that we needed capital to do. The experience of raising money was a very humbling one. <laughs> yeah. Because 100%. there were early on there was this idea that oh yeah go talk to vcs and had all these conversations and they went nowhere and it was because not only was the process of doing so wrong but not understanding the actual structural ways in which venture capital works really harmed really harmed my understanding of how to approach that world and those conversations and 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 how you even make that work for you Right? I didn't know that it didn't make sense for you to go out and raise money. I'd heard all these stories about entrepreneurs who came from backgrounds where it was like, well, okay, if they can raise, why can't I raise? Yep, likewise. You know? yep. We went to the same schools, right? I went to Harvard. Like Half these people went to Harvard like, okay, cool. I, I have this. I have that. This is a great idea. There are two companies that are doing similar things that have already sold to big conglomerates. Like, Why wouldn't they care about this company? Why wouldn't they care about this? Mm -hmm. And that was the wrong mindset. Mm -hmm. The better mindset, which is the one that I had to shift into, which was number one, focus on building the business and building the business for A, to just be able to organically achieve what you want to achieve, but also understand that you need to actually approach the people who can be interested in your business because of the, uh, the ability to actually understand deeply the importance of these issues and also the investment in seeing a company like this grow. That means going to individuals, going to angel investors, and also being more humble about the amount of money you need and being really scrappy. You don't need to go to a venture capitalist and raise half a million dollars if, you have, if you're like six months out the gate. That doesn't make any sense, mm -hmm. right? But you know what you could do is go raise $10,000 from somebody because that $10,000 you can really put to work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. another ten, and another fifteen, and these small checks. One because people can actually do them. Number two because you actually can see the kind of progress and the kind of movement that helps you along the way to get to where you want to be. And then also because I think that ultimately, when you're building any business, you have to understand traditionally what the actual sources of capital are. Typically, there are loans and very small angel investments, and so with loans and very small angel investments. This is how most businesses in the world, you know, are built. And so that really helps that really helps people understand like, hey, look, what you're building is not this rocket ship that just goes into the the stratosphere and becomes this billion dollar company. That's not how this really works. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that was a humbling experience. I think that that was a lesson that I just needed to learn. And it's something that I, I tell a lot of other people, which is go to angels first, go to your community first, like try your best to do as much as you can with as little money as you can. So how did you even go about finding the angels, right? Like what resources, you know, can, can one use? Like what's 
what would you recommend finding angels in your area? Is yeah. there any websites that you used or? Um, so to go back to that thing, I mean, I, network mapping is huge. That's right, yeah. Network mapping is a huge thing. I think that, you know, that's just the, that's, that's the best way to start because I think that that helps you understand who in your community might be able to, to help out. And you just have to go through that because by going through each of those asks, it's not that person maybe, but it's someone who, who might be able to help you. Um, I think that one of the big, I mean, there are big resources like there's AngelList. I don't love some of these online resources because I think that they still fit the mold that most companies should be these, you know, money fueled tech companies that just shoot up. And yeah. so people still have this mindset on there. Um, I think that one of the big places that you can go, um, yeah, I think there are local angel groups um, in every city that are going. I think the Chamber of Commerce in a lot of cities have contacts and businesses. Um, you know, one of the things that I think actually a lot of people don't do enough of is go and visit businesses that they really like and admire or that are similar and talk to the people who run those businesses, talk to the people who own those and see who they can connect you with. Everyone had some help some part of the way. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's, you know, that's a big thing. Um, if you went to college, I think your college alumni group yeah. is a huge one going to, you know, most institutions have big networks of alums who are doing all sorts of businesses that can help you. Um, even you know even high schools even places where they're like okay we still keep in touch with some people who are very involved um you know that's a big that's a big one as well i think that that's probably you know i would the advice i would give linkedin is okay yeah i think that like <laughs> i don't love linkedin like to be quite frank but i think that there is some value there in looking people up there um and and you know having the approach where you're only saying hey look i I'm only raising, you know, take a check for 5K. Take a check for 10K. Mm -hmm. You know, it might not seem like a lot of money, but 5 and 10K, I'll be quite frank, that does a lot for your business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whether it's a technology product, whether it's yeah. a consumer product, whatever it is, 5, 10K, you know, if you turn around and get five people to give you, give you 5K, that's 25K. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 25K is a game changer for a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, even it seems like a small check, but that's a big deal. No, I I'm with you. Bro. So yeah, I think you, yeah. those are those are kind of the ways that that really come together. I mean, that's the that's the thing, but it's tough. It's tough, I think, in our community because we don't always have access to the kind of resources and the kind of capital that we need just to even get it moving. Right. But that would be my that would be that would be my recommendation. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of where I was going with that too. Is we're not even aware of, you know. Uh, our local angel networks and that is important um, right. if you if you are an entrepreneur and just e understanding that you you should be connected to one but um so you guys so you guys or so you go to you know you go to bangkok and you're there for a year and you have these samples and you know your network is trying them out and the feedback was it was it positive was it kind of a mixed review was it was it what you hoped it would be when when people were uh, initially sampling um yeah people liked yeah. it people liked it a lot um people saw a change in the skin which was always important and i think that it's so funny one of the early issues that we're we're working on a brand update right now and also updating the packaging and one of the early things that people were talking about was these pumps are really hard to use and we get the feedback all the time about that <laughs> and so it's so funny i mean 
I don't know if it's funny, but it's interesting to see that a year, year and a half on, like we still have this thing about these pumps with this moisturizer. But I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought because one of the things that we needed to fix was apparent early on, but we were so deep in the process that we couldn't really augment you know what was what was going on it was already in process already in production so it didn't it wasn't possible to make all the changes that we could on people's feedback but there were a couple issues around you know texture and some issues around the formulation that we wanted to update and so that was really helpful to do so but people were, were really excited about the product and people felt like it was something that worked well and so i think that there was a sense that yes we've done the research yes we've done the studies yes we've we've gone in and tested it but when it hits the real world where people don't necessarily care about that kind of stuff or people don't necessarily, you know, they're not always thinking about it. They're just looking at like, all right, do I like it? Does it matter? Is it interesting? Whatever. For sure, there was a positive reception. That's dope, man. I mean, I, that has to be such a rewarding feeling after all the work that you put in. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what you sort of, you know, do it for. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Man, are you guys gonna put out any serums? That this is a personal question. Are you guys planning on doing any, like sleep serums, any sleep serums or any daytime serums? Not at the moment. It's not on the roadmap. Um, we have some other things that we want to to achieve first. Um, I can't really get into a lot of details on what we have after our our brand update. Okay. What I can say is that it's something we've heard a lot um, in terms of creating this kind of product. I think that it's one of those things where you just have to look at the how people are using your products, how people understand what it is that you're building, and whether or not that's the type of product that's of the highest need. Uh, I would love, like, to be quite frank, I would love to launch like 12 products tomorrow, <laughs> but <laughs> but we're still in the phase of perfecting our first three, yeah. and whether that's in formulation, whether that's in the way it's packaged and so I think we have a little bit of ways to go before we can we can look at something like a serum um, but it's definitely again it's definitely out there as an idea that we're, we're exploring so where are you guys selling at now man are you guys we're still online direct consumer okay um, so you can get it on our website uh, saleonskincare.com in the future we probably will will end up doing um, some retail I think being direct consumer is great for building a relationship with your community uh, what ends up happening, I think, is that sometimes there's a bit of a limitation because in the online space, you're fighting for a lot of attention with other things, priorities, products, whatever it might be to people. And so finding a way to reach our community uh, where they are and whether that's with a big box retail partner, whether that's with boutiques, whether that's with supply stores, whoever that might be, that's something that we're always open, open to exploring. So what... What would be, uh, I guess, what what have you learned about yourself in this whole journey up to this point, up to today? Like, what have been the biggest things that you've learned about Patrick? I think the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is that intuition, my intuition is good, but it can't be the only thing that guides my decision making. Is there any books that you've read that helped you along the way as an entrepreneur Totally. Um, I think that a really good book that I read early on is Venture Deals. That's a great book. Even if you don't end up raising venture capital, it's helpful to understand the structure of how that works so that 
you just kind of get on and you understand and have some sobriety around how all that come how that all that is structured um also i think early on i think another good book that's really helpful is the hard things about hard things the hard thing about hard things is a good book um ben horowitz it's a startup it's a startup book but i think what it really does is it helps kind of illustrate the difficulties that you're gonna have to go through emotional and the kind of brinksmanship that <laughs> it might take to build something that's moving fast and 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 also that's changing an industry or having a big impact i think after that honestly um you know reading i think can only take you so like here's what i'll say i've read a lot of fiction books that i thought were helpful just because they kind of help broaden my perspective or just open my eyes to different things and so i want to say that like as an entrepreneur your goal is honestly to read all the time everything yep not just like specific books but literally just read all the time i think they they talk a lot about uh, ceos and and all these different people who are reading all these different books i actually think that there's something to that now i won't tell you what to read and i think it's okay to just read what you're interested in but definitely it's worth it doesn't have to be one book a week or a book a month or anything like that but you definitely should always be just having that in your mind because it's allowing for different thoughts and different processes and different under ways of understanding the world um, come come into your head and, and at least broaden your perspective and and how do you stay focused man and and in a world where there's so much distraction, you know, around us. And I know as a creator, as an entrepreneur, having clarity of mind and focus is, you know, I mean, that's the goal. That's that's kind of where you want to be at when you're creating products and totally. creating anything, really. Totally. So what does Patrick do? What do you do to, to get a sense of clarity or to stay focused? You know? Stay off social media. That's a big one. Um, not only because it's just a time suck but also because it is a fun house mirror and it can make make everything seem really warped and so that changes how you think about your business and you think about things um you know i unsubscribed i used to read probably an hour or two a day of newsletters and and it was all really great to have that but after a while i just needed mental clarity and peace to be able to understand what I wanted to think about and I wanted to be focused on. And so I probably get now two to three. Mm -hmm. That was like 15 or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, another thing to focus is literally getting away from it. I do no work on the weekends anymore. None. This is year three of the business. I do not work on the weekend. Like, yeah. I don't. Like, I might, Sunday night, if I need to help, like, ship packages out or do whatever like that, I might do that. But I make it a point to say these 48 hours are not time to work on it. Because in the beginning I did that, and quite frankly, I felt like I was close to burnout. And that just happens Oof. because there are people who say, well, you know, look, you need to always be grinding. You need to be ultra-focused. You need to be this. You need to be that. No, that's not what this is. I think that, yes, you need to be focused. Yes, you need to work hard. But keep it Monday to Friday. It doesn't matter if you work Monday from 8 a.m. to 12, 8 a.m. to 12 a.m., right? Put those hours in. Mm -hmm. You do it all the way through Friday, put those hours in. But give yourself a full weekend, two days, to not think about it mm -hmm. and to just give your mind a break to rest because if you're trying to focus all the time, if you're trying to grind all the time, your mind can't withstand that. Yeah. And, and I challenge anyone who says otherwise. There are people who will come at you with this energy of like, oh, if you're not 
willing to die for this business, if you're not <laughs> willing to do this or do that, or it should be everything all consuming, your business might fail next week. Yeah. You know, it's not probably not going to, but when this business is gone in a year or two, as most are, then what? You'll have spent all these years grinding and, and throwing everything away for what? Yeah. Yep. And it comes back to the, the idea of, okay, look, what are you even building this business for? Mm-hmm. Is this for something to pour your life into for X amount of years? At the end, you say, well, I had this experience and it was great and I didn't get anything from it. Life doesn't work like that. Yeah. And these business, like, it shouldn't work like that. And you'll hear about entrepreneurs. You hear these stories about these places where people do that. A, that's not the real story. Spin. <laughs> B, it's that's that person isn't going to be you. Like that's just not going to be you. Yeah. C, there's probably that's the one percent of people where that worked. There are ninety nine percent of those stories where you never heard about them because they weren't successful mm-hmm. and they still gave it all up. We say that all the time. You know. So I think that's the that's the you know I I had to learn I had to learn myself that that was the way I need to be to understand how I could function yeah in my mind yeah and and likewise because you're right I mean some people are successful but oftentimes when they get to wherever it is they're trying to go you know they're they've abandoned friendships and have foregone relationships absolutely absolutely and you only get one turn on this earth and at the end of the day, that's that's it. And I get that these things are important to build. I get that these things are amazing. But there's just something about saying it doesn't have to be that way. Right. You can build something incredible. You can actually do this. You just don't need to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Truly, I mean, it's it's really remarkable how much you can do if you try to just stay scrappy stay small and yeah. figure it out and often raising money becomes a proxy for success when the reality is that it's it's most important to just build the thing continue to get people in the door and keep building the thing right um what we've got going on we've got an exciting brand update coming coming out we're just gonna do a lot of packaging improvements um some formula updates and really helping us communicate more to our community um we've got some really exciting structures uh a new subscription that's going to be really cool um with a bunch of added benefits to people so that's everything from like discounts on places you can go to get additional facial services um some just really cool i can't reveal everything but it's just really cool i think we really want to help there are people who subscribe and who use the product a lot and we want to enhance that experience and we want to be able to deliver more value to them um and then you know over the next year or so we are exploring some other opportunities in the space so that means looking at different products i know you brought up serum for example that's not on the roadmap but there are some other things that we want to be able to deliver okay and we really really want to focus on getting out in the community we're we're going to be having some events uh, in different cities, reaching out to our community members. Um, we're going to be working harder on getting more content out, more educational stuff, um, and that's featuring big. more guys in our community because that's been big for us. And then one, and then you know, I think the other big thing that we really want to do is to find opportunities to expand our reach, and that means being able to deliver more of the types of things that that are going to help people. So yeah, um, my name again is Patrick Boatin II. I'm the CEO and founder of Ceylon by Nim Labs. You can find us online at Ceylon Skincare. That's on Instagram, 
Um, you can check us out, our website, salonskincare.com. Uh, you can buy our skincare set, try it. Uh, you can always send me personally an email. It's Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, at A-N-I-M-L-A-B-S dot C-O. Um, and, you know, if whatever you want to talk about, I'm totally happy to talk more about the products, talk about the company, my journey, anything at all. I'm a total open book. I always want to help other entrepreneurs who are trying to build, whether that's products in the same space, products that are different, or anything at all. If they just want advice, just want to talk, I'm always happy to do so. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's me. Um, what we're doing is incredibly exciting and we're really blessed to have the opportunity to do this. And no matter what happens, you know, there's there's some real joy in being able to have gone out and, and at least made an impact in, in some people's lives. So, so yeah. Well, Patrick, Thank I you. appreciate it so much, man. Thank you for sharing your time, man. Your story is great. And I really genuinely uh, look forward to what you guys have going on and um, just seeing how everything develops for Absolutely, you personally, man. but also for your brand, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, brother. All right, this is awesome. Dude, there you have it, guys. Again, I want to say thank you to our listeners. Again, thank you, Patrick, for sharing your story and sharing your journey. Um, And thank you to Shanita and Amanda of Sip and Sonder um, in Inglewood. I really appreciate you guys letting us use your space today. And to everybody listening, I look forward to growing together in 2020. Thank you so much for following us and, and sharing in our journey the last couple years. All right, guys. Peace.